Welcome. This is Women Behind Wool, a podcast introducing you to the female face of the Australian wool industry. You know, when I was in the city and even when I was in fashion, I understood the beauty of the fabric, but I didn't understand the benefits. And I think it's a huge issue that consumers in the city do not understand that it is the only fibre a child should be wearing if they suffer from eczema or you know, that it's fire resistant and antibacterial or all, all the incredible benefits. So this week's guest on Women Behind Wool is Vanessa Bell, who is the woman behind Sarah Jane Bond baby blankets, which are now known as Vanessa Bell baby blankets. Um, but she is so much more than that. She's a fine wool farmer, she's a knitter, and she used to be a model as well, which is how her journey started into wool. But Pen, how did you come across her? You know, I can't actually remember the first time, but I think um, the way I think of Ness is that she has just been such a great advocate for merino wool. And I think... um, It's one thing, like obviously I've got um, a clothing label and talk about wool a bit, but I think um, people that have uh, used wool in baby clothes and blankets um, do so because they really, really understand the benefits of wool and they really shout that from the rooftops. And that's sort of how I came to know her. Um, And I guess we just kind of became Instagram friends along the way. That is, after speaking with her, that's one of her things. She's like, yes, we know about the beauty of wool, but we don't know about the benefits of wool, especially for babies and newborns and infants. And a part of her story also is learning about how her baby blankets came together, which is just so beautiful. When her youngest son, Charlie, um, was a baby, she he was cold. They lived in Goulburn, um, quite close to where I live, and it's freezing. It's always cold in winter, and she, so she needed a wool blanket, and her mum ended up giving her a family heirloom blanket, which had been knitted by her great-grandmother in 1944, Vanessa's mum. Um and it had lasted the test of time, still just as warm, still in such wonderful condition. And so that's where her journey into baby blankets started. And then she thought, I'm gonna do this. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make my own baby blankets out of wool. She put the call out for some knitters, some local knitters on um just like the community notice board um, and they came to her in droves and so she's got this gorgeous community of older ladies who knit um, heirloom patterns as well. They're just, just beautiful and um, are a part of her story as well. I love that. That's a real community story, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and and then the other part to her story is how she was introduced to wool because she brings fresh eyes to um, to to the to the story of wool. I suppose she did not grow up on a farm. She's a city girl. Um, she was actually modelling high end um, fashion modelling at the age of sixteen, and her um, I can't remember exactly who it was for, but they were dressing her in wool, and she just thought oh my god this fiber is so beautiful it hangs so 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 beautifully 
And so she went out and bought her first woolen jacket, I think it was, blazer, and the rest is is sort of history. And so she's got this unique mm. story of like high-end fashion, living on a farm. She really knows her stuff in terms of like breeding values and what they're trying to breed into their sheep as well. And then a bit of, and then retail as well. Yeah, I always think it's really interesting um, when you get the perspective of someone born outside of the industry who um, ends up spending their working life in the industry really starting from just the feel of a piece of clothing. You know, I think the thing we keep coming back to with wool is that it's so emotive and does, um, when you feel a really beautiful um, woolen jacket or jumper or something, it really does have the power to make you fall in love with it. And Ness is a perfect example of someone whose life now completely revolves around the fibre and around sheep. It's been an unusual journey because many, many years ago I used to work in high fashion and so I used to model for really incredible designers such as Giorgio Armani and Christian Dior. And so designers such as Comme des Garçons were really familiar with really fine merino and long before anyone in Australia was, you know, I mean now as active wear and, and fine merino across different products is really accepted here now. Very. This is you know thirty years ago. Um, it was it was very new, and that's where I really fell in love with the softness and the versatility and the drape of merino. So um, yeah, really, I suppose not a normal connection, but now it's it's definitely evolved as and and my passion um, really evolved as I moved into a life on the land. Give us a little bit more of an insight into those days. I'm assuming on the catwalk or during your photo shoots when you would wear a woolen garment, how did it fall and compare to the other things that you were, that you needed to wear for your clients? Well, if I go back to the very first shoot that I ever did for Vogue, it was in a Jean-Paul Gaultier um, woolen blazer. And I remember thinking, you know, even being really young, just how elegant wool is and how how um, designers like Valentino or Anne Klein or Calvin Klein, the bigger designers chose wool because of its functionality and the fact that, you know, it had its purpose of being a really wonderfully warm fibre, but it also the draping qualities, how it sat on your body, the fact that it was um, timeless. You know, I've still got pieces in my wardrobe that, I've had for 15 years that don't date because it is such a stylish, beautiful fibre to work with. So I think a lot of the other designers, um, particularly in America, really cottoned on to the fact that uh, there was a demand for it. And, and then as the years have gone by and obviously, you know, different designers have come through the ranks and, and the change in technology and how wool is processed and, and yarn is processed, that's evolved again. So it's become more accessible to, to just, you know, other high-end or high street stores. Mm. Or not even, just everybody That's now. Right. Yeah. Right. So what age were you then, Miss? Oh, goodness. <laughs> I'm an old boot now. <laughs> oh, no, it's, quite, it's completely fine. This is, uh, I started, look, I was 15 and, mm. um, you know, very much uh, at a private school on the North Shore 
in Sydney and um, very, I was very much into sport and tennis and long distance running and things and never remotely thought about fashion. And so it was, you know, I was in there quite at quite a young age. um, And then, you know, my parents were very keen on me finishing school, as was I. Um, But then I was incredibly fortunate because I had amazing management. Um, By the time I'd, I'd finished my HSC, I'd matriculated into Sydney Uni and and I think my father's quite excited about that and then realised that, well, you know, I could go and accept a $60,000 contract to go and do shows in Tokyo. And, you know, when you're, when you're 18 and you're offered a 60000 US contract, it, it kind of became, do I go to university? <laughs> you know? mm. um, so, look, it started there and I was, I was incredibly fortunate to have just outstanding management, um, really fantastic management in every country I went to so um, I speak very highly of the fashion business I know there are horror stories my experience was very very positive and you know I fell in love with unbelievable designs it's as I said where my my passion for wool started and being able to work with incredible photographers and makeup artists and designers to me was just creative heaven was just fantastic and now you've done the full circle, which I'm sure at that stage, you know, you, you might have just remarked on how beautiful the fibre was. Initially, did it convert to you seeking it out in your own clothing? Absolutely. I just, for me, it was very much about warmth because every I, I seem to do <laughs> colder seasons. So, you know, I'd be living in Vienna or I'd be in London or, I, I, you know, just purely on climate, I would seek out wool. And, and I loved the fact that particularly with the Merino that you could um, just wash it. It was wash and wear. And that was just really easy and comfortable when you were traveling, you know, you could throw it in a bag and, and put it in a shower and steam it and it would just be fantastic. So um, I don't think I've ever really been big on ironing. So <laughs> especially when you're traveling, um, but look, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been a really interesting journey and to get, I suppose to fall in love with sheep, um, you know, it was in itself quite unusual to fall in love with an Australian farmer after after travelling the world for years. But um, it was twofold. It was to to then fall in love with merino sheep, and and now, you know, nothing makes me happier than being well out in the paddocks, um, mastering them, looking at their condition. Really, I suppose because they're such a, a strong flocking, you know, they've got strong behavioural traits that that when they're close and, and together, it's really wonderful to watch. So I, I really enjoy all of that. I really enjoy being out and sort of seeing how they are on a daily basis. And to be honest, since I've moved up here, that's probably the thing that I've missed the most. Mm. So rewinding just a little bit, I mean, you, you never, was it in, was farming and uh, country life and wool really in your vernacular when you in your days of of modeling and in your sights of when you finished school and university not at all sky absolutely mm. not and and this is the funny part i mean i went from being in fashion to high finance and and the wine business and then um, media so i had quite an unusual background but ironically my my mother's family were from dubbo so um, and I've said this before, I feel actually incredibly comfortable out West. You know, I think probably a red dirt girl at heart. Um, and so in that sense, I feel like I've returned to my roots. But it's 
it's it was certainly never on the radar. And I think in meeting Philip, who, you know, he's, he's <laughs> my, my family all joke that um, I dragged Philip kicking and screaming back into to wool because he's just such a, a cattleman. But, you know, he loves he loves Marino as well. So it's it's been um, an interesting journey together as a couple. And, you know, I think just to see from his perspective when I walked into the kitchen years ago and said, oh, you know, I'm going to make baby blankets. And, and I think to see that transpire into the business that it's become has been really rewarding for both of us. Well, tell me, how did it happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, very top line, I had a baby. And, um, and I remember looking online thinking, oh, you know, I'd really like something really beautiful and woolen to keep, keep Charlie warm. And I couldn't find anything. And then my mum said, well, actually, I have this family heirloom that is super beautiful. Um, your great-grandmother, Sarah-Jane Bond, knitted it back in 1940, um, actually, for my mum. And, and she said, you know, it is felted from wear, but, but I think it'll be fabulous. And it was just wonderful. So I then realised that there was this huge opportunity in the market and I put a notice in the, in the gunning notice board and by that afternoon had a knitting team and it's really it's really morphed from there so we you know we set about making um, prototypes and I wanted to I wanted to make sure that they were 100% merino and um, I really enjoyed that connection with older women to learn about their skills and even though I've always loved to knit my, my grandmother Ruby taught me to knit um, I really enjoyed sitting down with them and having a cup of tea and going through old knitting patterns. And as the discussions evolved over the years and the designs and the, you know, our customers came on the journey with us, I just realized what a huge privilege it was to be, be part of that journey and to, to be creating family heirlooms from, from this unbelievable fiber. And I think that's just to go back a step you know, when I was in the city and even when I was in fashion, I understood the beauty of the fabric, but I didn't understand the benefits. And I think it's a huge issue that consumers in the city do not understand that it is the only fibre a child should be wearing if they suffer from eczema or, you know, that it's fire resistant and antibacterial or, or all, all the incredible benefits of, of wool just have not been articulated to, to people in the city. And I think part of the joy in what I've been doing is through through the um, the brand evolving is to obviously produce incredibly beautiful baby blankets, but but also to speak to that from an educational perspective um, from someone that knew nothing about it. And I think that's probably why why it resonates is because I can I can join the dots there. And you know the questions that they may not um, that they may be asking or the things that they may not know, whereas people who have been working and loving the fibre all their life, it's, um, it's just second nature. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, for me, I've also really enjoyed learning from an agricultural perspective. So, you know, like for the past three years, we've been trialling different bloodlines um, and, and they've all performed really well. Um, I've been especially happy with a, a bloodline from Meroa. But I suppose, you know, for me, the, the point is, is what I'm trying to do is to produce a fibre for my blankets um, that have that combination of strength um, but low prickle factor. So, you know, 
we're looking at bringing into one to 2,000 non-mules weather lambs on farm normally at this time of the year and, and then we run them through to shearing in the winter to, to early spring. Um, and we're focusing on, on easy care and good genetics. So we want the sheep to grow along staple quickly so that we can shear twice before they get their teeth up and, and the meat price goes down. But, but basically we're looking for a micron that's about 65 to 70 millimetres with, you know, as I said, good strength and comfort factor because ideally before COVID hit, you know, I really was, and I, I'm still very much on part on, on track to do this, is to have my own yarn produced for the baby blankets. And I think companies such as Love Merino have really led the charge uh, to be a fleece to fashion product. And, and, you know, it is, I think COVID really shone a light on the fact it is such a shame that we don't have scouring facilities that um, are at the level that we require here in Australia. And, you know, for me, having my own yarn is uh, an integral, integral part of the journey and, and something that, you know, I'm, I'm still, I mean, any, any excuse to get to Italy, right? (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. So tell me more about the yarn that you do use now. Where does it come from? So it is Australian Merino, but uh, it's commercially produced um, through the Bendigo Mills. And look, it's, it's performing well. It's, it's, it's um, you know, the blankets are lovely. It's got a wonderful feel to it. But again, for me, I, I think really to be offering our consumers the best possible product, um, I struggle with the lack of traceability um, and, you know, it's, it's part of the, the brand evolving that I really feel that, um, you know, it's such an extraordinary fibre. It's one of the only fibres in the world that's, that is renewable and sustainable, but the consumer really wants to understand that full journey. And I think if we can off, offer them a really bespoke product that might come from a specific wool clip, um, not dissimilar to an art series, then that gives further dimension to the product. So, um, and, and, you know, I think it's, there's something really incredibly special about knitting wool from your own sheep. It's just, it's something, it's just a dream of mine. Do you think it's going to be possible? I think so. Um, we're definitely in discussions um, and, and, you know, I mean, the amount of people I've spoken to, I know how challenging it is, uh, particularly with small batches, but it is possible. And, and I think, um, my brand, well, I've actually just gone through a complete rebrand. So originally, as, as we've discussed, it was Sarah Jane Bond and it just became really confusing because everyone kept calling me Sarah. So I've actually just shifted the entire brand to being Vanessa, Vanessa Bell, because it, you know, I, I wanted to take the business from the kitchen table to becoming an international premium brand. And so um, as part of that journey, yes, I do believe it's possible to have our own yarn p- produced. And, yes, I do think it's possible to then expand on uh, the baby blanket business. So the baby blankets would become one skew um, of, of a bigger brand um, and so I'm looking to then um, branch out into to other products um, such as really beautiful vibey merino jumpers and, and um, scarves. So there's just an opportunity under that particular, I, people can start calling me Ness as opposed to Sarah, but um, you know, it's, just, it's just an exciting evolution of the, the brand. These are sort of not your average, like by no means your average knitted blanket. 
Tell me a little bit about what they actually look like and the knit, the knitting that you you do for them. Okay, so they're all um, they're. Originally, we started off with quite chunky, heavy blankets, which we're still doing, but we, we, we really um, listened to our customers and there was a very high demand for uh, these intricate patterns. So um, they're, they're vintage patterns. Most of them, you know, go back to sort of the early 1900s. And so there's, you know. Where did you get them from? Just different old knitting patterns that, yeah. that most, of, yeah. you know, um, most of our knitters had lying around. And, you know, there's a lot that you can get offline. I'm quite, there's, there's different um, patterns for different, you know, obviously we've got boys and girls that we want different patterns and more suitable to, to little boys or girls. But that there's the whole f- function is that they can start off being a ceremonial christening blanket and that can travel them with that child into becoming a toddler blanket. So, for example, my son is eight. He sleeps under his every single night um, and it becomes something that they can then pass on to another sibling um, and they've got incredible longevity. So as as testament to my great-grandmother's blanket, that's 80-plus years going strong. So it's the same thing. We're wanting to create these very elegant, um, intricately designed baby blankets. But that's the wonderful thing about Merino. I think, you know, if you were to look at, why have I chosen wool over another fibre? It's because there's something so incredibly special with wool. I love the texture and, you know, the smell of the lanolin and the comfort of working with the fibre and the weight of the finished item. But, you know, as far as using wool over another product, the thing is, particularly with our brand, it's been built on love and longevity. So it's some, that's something that wool offers that, that other, other fibres don't. So everything that we do as far as producing a bespoke blanket can take three to four months to knit. It's not about producing lots and lots of blankets. It's about the fact that it's actually quite, you know, it's about the scarcity of that blanket. So as as we move into having our own yarn produced, they'll become even more like a limited art series. So you're, Mm. you're buying from a specific flock. You know about the flock. You know how those animals have been treated um, and, and Sky, I think the other thing I would say is that beyond just being baby blankets, I, I'm, as you know, super passionate about wool. And I, and I think really my new focus has been the impact of disposable fashion on the environment, such as microplastics being washed into our oceans. And, mm. you know, um, people don't think about the fact that every time they put on a synthetic jumper and then they put it in the washing machine that those those microplastics end up in our oceans and land. So you know, for me as a brand, I think it's imperative that we be part of the solution and not the problem. And and I really believe that the decisions that you make in one part of the world have a ripple effect. Um, and, and what you choose to buy and for, for your family does too. So if we can really plant the seed, particularly with children, if they've got a familiarity of having their own baby blanket that's merino wool or they're wearing a merino jumper, if we can educate them at a very young age to choose wool, then, you know, in actuality we're doing something uh, to, to, to really aid them in the health of our future and, and our planet. How far and wide have your blankets been sold? Goodness. Well, I'm very pleased to say um, from Bondi <laughs> to New York, um, which is hugely rewarding. Um, and I was actually speaking to another girlfriend the other day and I remember um, standing outside the Cobar post office, you know, and I had my work boots on and I was pretty well covered in red dirt. And um, 
And I was standing there and I was looking at this package that I was just about to send off to Geneva in Switzerland thinking, oh, my goodness, this is the power of Instagram. Like how incredible that you Mm. can take your product from the top paddock and, you know, that that you're selling them across the world in Switzerland. Um, And this week I had such a pinch me moment um, as we delivered a blanket to one of Hollywood's most famous animation movie directors. So that was that was quite a moment this week. Amazing. Um, How did they find out about it? Instagram. So, and I think, you know, particularly with Instagram, people, and this is slightly off topic, but I think, you know, people get so concerned about having loads and loads of followers. And and my experience is the importance of the community and, and making sure that you really understand your community and that you're, you know, you're engaging and showing them and showcasing what wool is all about, I think has been part of that journey for me and why our customers just really resonate with the product is because they know that it's 100% authentic, that you can't buy it anywhere else in the world. And, you know, it's it's something really special. And I think that I'm very grateful for the, the social platforms that we have because, you know, going back 15 years ago, it would have been challenging for me to, to get my voice out there to have it heard in Switzerland. Mm. So Instagram obviously is a wonderful channel for you to use, but outside of that, how do you feel about being a woman in this space and also a female that hasn't grown up on a farm? Well, I don't think there's ever been a greater time to be in agriculture as a woman than now. I think that that the opportunity, um, you know, for me, even though I didn't grow up on the land, in, in actuality that's played to, to in my favour because I've been able to utilise all of my business and, and professional schools, uh, skills from being in the city um, and, and I've been able to look at um, things with, with fresh eyes. Mm. And I think when you're ingrained in something or you're on the land and you've been on the land your entire life, you know, there's so many challenges. As you know, I mean, we really copped it with the drought and, and now in the fires and obviously COVID as well. But I suppose my perspective has been that I have, I've always seen those challenges as being opportunities. For me, it's about connection. It's about learning. It's about being humble. And it's about leveraging and, and owning your own story. So if I were to, to look at my journey from fashion to farmer, it's innately Australian not to toot your own horn. And, and I've never been one to really sort of stand up and say, oh, you know, look at me. But I think there's there's actually some power in owning that story and understanding that I have had a remarkable background and that I do know people in places. You know, I picked up the phone the other day to Lewis Pugh, who is the um, UN ambassador for oceans, to say, what can we do? What can we do to get the message out there about wool? You know, what can we do to get people to stop putting plastics in our oceans? So I, I can leverage relationships in, in quite high places because, because of my background. And as arrogant as that can, can come across, instead of steering away from that, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that I stand in my truth. I'm very committed to our community as wool growers. And I think it's that point of difference and the fact that I have absolutely no fear. I mean, you walk down a runway in a $40,000 Valentino dress, world media, you've got to keep it together. I don't actually, I think I've got to the point in my life where whether or not I've grown up on the land or not is actually not relevant 
It's about what I do with the opportunity that I have and how can I be a global innovator so in the most efficient and effective way that I can. Well, Ness, it's been so interesting to learn about your quite unique journey and look forward to following the progress of your brand and your blankets. And thank you so much for taking the time to share it all on Women Behind Wool. Oh, Sky, thank you so much. You know, I'm such a huge fan and supporter of Women Behind Wool. And, you know, I'd also really like to say um, thank you so much for all that you do in supporting um, not only women in wool, but but um, women in rural and regional Australia um, as far as representing us in agriculture. You do such an amazing job, so thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Women Behind Wool. We hope you're enjoying these stories and um, and we'd love for you to share them with your friends and, and let us know on Instagram if you've been listening and if you've enjoyed it. You can find us at Women Behind Wool. You can also read more about some of our guests and the Women Behind Wool project in the June issue of Australian Women's Weekly on sale May 19th. Um, so please do have a read, join us on Instagram um, and give us your feedback. We'd love to hear what you think.